0: i got to edit, edit the Twitch thing. Okay, let's see if that works. Okay, we're live. Hi, this is William Ramsey. Welcome to William Ramsey Investigates. On tonight, you have a very special guest. His name is Dean Job, and he's just published a book in July 2021. It, the title of the book is The Case of the Murderous Dr. Cream, The Hunt for a Victorian-era Serial Killer. And Mr. Job is an award-winning author and journalist and a professor at the University of King's College in Halifax, Nova Scotia, where he teaches in the Master of Fine Arts and Creative Nonfiction Program. He's the author of eight books. Uh, one is Daring, Devious, and Deadly, Two Tales of Crime and Justice from Nova Scotia's Past, published 2020. Also, The Empire of Deception and the Incredible Story of a Master Swindler Who Seduced a City and Captivated the Nation in 2015. Also, The Cajuns, A People's Story of Exile and Tri- Triumph, published in 20- 2005, and Blue Nose Justice, published in 1993. There's a couple other books there, but uh, really a fascinating book, very, very well written. If you want a lesson on excellent prose, I highly recommend this book, in addition to its really fascinating narrative, and uh, a case that I didn't know much about, but he can talk more about that. So, Dean, Job, are you there? I am. Thanks awesome. for having me on. Yeah, thanks for agreeing to the interview. For people who may not have heard your name, can you talk about your background and what led you to write the case of the murderous Dr. Green?
1: Well, I'm uh, I'm a former journalist uh, who uh, transitioned to uh, teaching uh, in a journalism program at the University of King's College. And uh, I had been writing books, uh, mostly true crime, and that made a, a me a, a good fit for the MFA in Creative Nonfiction program that uh, that my university started about 10 years ago. And uh, that's primarily my teaching now. Um, so my background meant, uh, meant that I gravitated to historic, uh, historical true crime. Um, I started out covering the court beat as a journalist, uh, had to learn a lot of law uh, uh, on the fly. And uh, my background, though, uh, academically in university was history. So the two kind of came together. Um, I was fascinated with uh, older crimes. sometimes the more obscure, the better, but crimes that really uh, murder, robbery, whatever the crime might be. But, but the overriding factor for me is it has to say something about the times. Um, I think it's uh, it's wonderful, a wonderful way to learn history if a writer uh, can transport the reader to another time and place and uh, can open a real window on the past.
0: I agree. And you really do capture the time and place of this era. Can you talk about... Uh, who who this person was and where you start the narrative of this true crime book?
1: Well, Dr. Thomas Neal Cream, uh, his case was a sensation in its time uh, in the late 19th century. Uh, He murdered as many as uh, 10 people, uh, most of them women, uh, in Canada, uh, later in Chicago, and then finally in uh, London, England. He's a contemporary of Jack the Ripper, in fact, more lethal. Uh, Jack the Ripper uh, is believed to have killed uh, five women, uh, creamed twice as many, and had actually killed six uh, people before uh, Jack the Ripper's crimes uh, occurred. Um but he's more he's not as well known. and uh, uh, again, that's the kind of story I like to to dig into. I partly wanted to understand uh, why this fellow had been forgotten this uh, this heinous criminal. And I think one of the reasons was, um there is a resolution in Cream's case that we don't have with Jack the Ripper. The endless afterlife Jack the Ripper seems to have of speculation about who it might have been since that crime was unsolved. So um, I found Crean fascinating uh, for one reason, really. Uh, How did he get away with it for so long, so many places, so many murders, and often deaths of uh, people who were his patients? So he was intimately connected to them and, and at times an obvious suspect. Yet, because he was a doctor and trusted, uh, because he was uh, uh, granted some uh, 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 benefit of the doubt because of his status, because of his privilege, or the limitations of crime detection and forensic science, time and time again, he was able to evade justice and uh, kill again. And I really wanted to understand how that happened.
0: Yeah, and you start off the story in London. Can you talk about what the status of that environment was in London at the time? And the kind of uh, cream story kind of overlaps with Conan Doyle's story and really a fascinating
1: background of
0: of London, London's interest in true crime at the time.
1: Can you talk about that? You mentioned uh, that I teach creative nonfiction, and I think it's important for listeners to know that the creative part is not making anything up. This is all true. It's all documented in the book. The creative is a storytelling. And that meant that in conjunction with my editor at Algonquin Books, Amy Gash, um, she was really championing uh, a champion of the idea of not just telling it as a chronological story, but looking for other ways to unfold what happened here. So the book starts in 1891, almost at the end of Cream's campaign of murder. And with him going to London, as you said, and then his earlier murders in America and Canada are told his backstory. So he gets to London in 1891. Um, He knew the city. He gravitated to an area called Lambeth, which was downtrodden. Uh, Lots of crime, lots of brothels. And he started frequenting and being a customer of the, the women of Lambeth the prostitutes and started killing some. And his weapon of choice was strychnine that he would dispense uh, telling these women as he had told his patients earlier that this was medicine, but it was a lethal dose of, 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 of deadly strychnine. And um, he was able to operate in London uh, through uh, the winter of 1891. Uh, His first two murders, uh, Scotland, weren't even on Scotland Yard's radar. One they thought was a suicide. Another was never reported, thought to be a natural death. So Cream really benefited from mistakes, miscues. And uh, as well, uh, there was a chilling sort of coincidence that I point out in the book that in early 1892, Conan Doyle's super sleuth Sherlock Holmes in one of the early Holmes stories and Sherlock Holmes is just becoming a sensation the the kind of iconic great detective that we that we know today and um, in one of those stories uh, he notes to Dr. Watson uh, that a doctor who uh, turns to crime is the first of criminals he has nerve and knowledge And it was astounding to me that as those words are being read in the Strand, a doctor with nerve and knowledge is operating with impunity under the nose of Scotland Yard.
0: Right. No, it really is incredible. And his uh, deaths occurred three years after the Ripper deaths. And you said at that time, maybe it it, uh, rivals or is similar to our time, is that true crime was really an interest of the population. Can you talk about
1: that? Incredible. Uh, there's an explosion of interest in true crime now, and, and partly it's because there's so many more platforms, podcasts, uh, uh, people on the internet, bloggers, and uh, uh, streaming services, and uh, fictionalized or, or documentary versions of true crime. I mean, it, it is all around us. And it. Um, I think it'll be interesting for readers to see that this isn't anything new. Um, There's a quote in the book, uh, says uh, a newspaper noting that there's one thing that that readers like more than anything else. It's a gory murder served up with all of the bloody details. And now that sounds like something that might have been said today or could be said today. That's from the Chicago Tribune in 1880. It, there has always been this morbid fascination or or uh, gravity people have gravitated to stories of true crime they're more their morality tales uh they're dramatic but uh i think most of all uh, um you know they there's stories um that people long to understand they they want to understand why would a doctor cream kill they want to understand who was jack the ripper who are these monsters among us? So I think that's part of the attraction. And in terms of, for someone like me coming along, researching more than 130, 140 years after the fact, it means there's a, 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 just a trove of material. For instance, uh, uh, it was very common in Cream's time for newspapers to run a, a virtually a verbatim transcript of a trial. So page after page, column after column of evidence, uh, back and forth between lawyers or uh, witnesses uh, examined and cross-examined, it's it's just remarkable to see that and to realize that this was done because there was an insatiable appetite for readers, by readers. They wanted this material.
0: Right, and I think you said, like, one of the, the Strand had 2 million people reading at any given time, so these, these are being consumed at a very immense level at that time you know pre-internet or anything like that and you also you also talk about the rise of forensic science and this idea of poisoning at that time in the 19th century can you talk about that
1: yeah that was a fascinating aspect of this i mentioned that strychnine was was cream's uh, poison of choice he was able to readily access it access it as a doctor um, But um, it was used in trace amounts in medicine, but it was known to be a lethal poison. But as the 19th century progressed, there almost developed an arms race between poisoners and toxicologists and and early forensic scientists who were trying to identify um, these poisons as cause of death. In the mid. 1800s, arsenic fell out of favor because a reliable lab test was developed. And arsenic had been the uh, widely available poison of choice if somebody wanted to get rid of someone. But strychnine was what was known as a, as a plant-based um, alkaloid. And uh, that these were very challenging for science. So in the background of, of Cream's Crime is really the development of a very crude at the time but uh, the starting, the, the start of the flowering of forensic science as lab tests were developed and refined, trying to ascertain whether strychnine was found uh, in uh, the body of a victim. And if so, in what amount? And, uh, you know, could this be linked to, uh, to, the, uh, to an offender? And uh, it was a fascinating aspect of the story.
0: Right. And you talked about the 19th century was the century of the poisoner, known as inheritance power, powder. So there was a lot of, it seemed like much more poisoning was taking place than anything I understood. Can you talk about C- Cream and his development and how he may have crossed paths with uh, Arthur Conan Doyle?
1: Well, he was, um, Cream was the son of a wealthy timber merchant in uh, Quebec City in Canada. Um, there was money to send him to McGill Medical School in Montreal, which would have been Canada's top medical school at the time. And um, very soon after graduation, uh, Cream, uh, uh got his fiance pregnant and uh, performed an abortion that uh, was successful, uh, but almost uh, caused her death. He was forced to marry her. Then he went off to London to continue his studies. And As I show in the book, it seems pretty clear that he continued to send medicine home to his uh, bride, uh, even though he'd only spent a day as her husband here in Canada. Canada. And uh, this hastened her death within a year. So in other words, this was his first victim. But suspicion at the time did not get as far as, as any kind of investigation, unfortunately, or his rampage might have been nipped in the bud. It did mean, though, that in the late 1870s, he uh, was studying and trying to get certified um, by uh, the Royal College of Physicians and Surgeons in England, um, a very prestigious uh, qualification, which he failed. He failed the test. So he went off to Edinburgh, which was even more prestigious. And uh, it's fascinating. I thought a fascinating aspect of the story is he is in Edinburgh. Uh, the sitting exams and uh, and uh, being uh, uh, examined for this license at a time when Conan Doyle was in the city. And Conan Doyle was a medical student at the time at, at Edinburgh. But one connection that is quite uncanny is that uh, one of the uh, doctors who examined Cream and certified him for this license, a man named Dr. Joseph Bell, was a good friend of of, and an instructor that uh, Conan Doyle knew. And this Joe Bell had an uncanny knack of reading people. He could see a callus on his hand and understand the occupation. He could see dirt on a trouser leg and know where the person was from. And if this sounds familiar, this is what we know Sherlock Holmes could do. Dr. Joseph Bell was the real-life uh, model for... Sherlock Holmes, uh, which Conan, Conan Doyle later uh, 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 later confirmed that uh, this uncanny lightning-like ability to uh, size up people that we know in Sherlock Holmes was based on a real person. And in the case of my story, a real person who encountered cream and unfortunately uh, could not see anything any kind of uh, sense of the evil lurking in this man who at that point had already killed one person and was about to kill many more.
0: Yeah, it's almost like Cream was the uh, Moriarty almost come to life of of, uh, Sherlock Holmes' story. And they called Edinburgh the Athens of the North, so it was very reputable at that time. What was kind of his path? I mean, he was really kind of one of the early multi- jurisdictional killers. Can you talk about his movements,
1: crimes movements? Yes, so he, um, his first two victims are in Canada, his young bride and then a patient in uh, Ontario, Canada. Uh, he was a suspect in that crime, never charged the, the second murder. So he went to Chicago and uh, within months uh, was charged with murder after a, a young woman died, a, a horribly botched uh, ab- uh, abortion operation. Yet, he was able to convince the jury that he was too skilled a physician to have done this, and he was acquitted. Um, I think that my book makes clear that uh, he was implicated in the deaths of two more patients, although he tried to blame the druggists for putting too much strychnine in their medicine, never charged. He finally poisons a man in northern Illinois because he was having an affair with the man's wife. And uh, tries to blame the druggists again, but he is put on trial and actually convicted. And we're up to murder number six now. And at the time there was even a news report saying, uh, the headline was the end of a deadly career. Well, it should have been the end of Cream's career. He went to prison for life in 1881. But he, he like, uh like phoenix like manages to emerge within a decade um is able to as i show in the book buy his way out of prison with family money uh, enough money changes hands that is, his sentence is shortened to just under 10 years and he immediately goes to london where he opens up the the final phase four more killings as I said, uh, under the nose of Scotland Yard.
0: It is odd, like his trajectory, because he came from a well-to-do family. His father was wealthy and like a supposedly very, you know, uh, religious Presbyterian. And his son goes bad. But he was even there were even suspicions when he was in at McGill. Right. Wasn't there some suspicious activity there?
1: Well, yes. I mean, he. He really rubbed his classmates the wrong way. They didn't associate with him. They found him too flashy, too full of himself, too arrogant. He uh, would show off his fine clothes. He always had expensive jewelry. Um, And as well, there was a disturbing incident um, where he was suspected of setting fire to the room he was renting so he could collect the insurance. And um, he was never charged with this. There was suspicion at the time. But it it seemed like he was on the edges of of certainly uh, floating the law. I wonder, it's important to know that he never never suggested in his own defense um, insanity so there was never any assessment of was he mentally ill we don't know what was going on in his psyche lots of speculation i wonder if that initial uh his first victim his young bride him being trapped feeling trapped in that marriage and killing her to get out of it if that maybe set him on the path because from that point on um he didn't kill every patient. I mean, he, he played God. I mean, some patients were allowed to live. But he would single out certain patients and decide that they would get this lethal dose of strychnine that they thought was medicine. Right. It is
0: it is very odd, like his his movements and, and what he did. But he was also, I mean, I think there were reports of him that he was... Uh, he bragged about his his conquest of women, and he kind of misspent his, his money licentiously. Is that correct?
1: Well, that's right. I mean, some disturbing um, comments are attributed to him. Uh, after he's acquitted of murder in Chicago in 1880, this is the botched abortion operation, he meets with uh, his lawyer, who uh, himself is an interesting character, Alfred Trude, who was known to bribe juries to get the verdicts he wanted and perhaps this benefited cream but cream talked openly about, about prostitutes being a scourge that needed to be eliminated this is in 1881 after he's in london he says to a friend uh, an acquaintance he's made there that the women the the sex workers of of lambeth are cattle that deserve to be killed i mean you, you just see this uh uh Escalating uh, hatred of women and this uh, absolutely chilling sense that he sees himself as the instrument to rid the world of these of these women.
0: Right. And you you include in the book the headstone of the husband that he killed. It says "and it's it's killed my wife and Dr. Rain. Like is that headstone still exists to this day?
1: It, it is. That's my photo That's from a couple of oh, years wow. ago. And uh, it, it may be the only uh, it's It's got to be one of the few instances of uh, an indictment carved into a gravestone. <laughs> right. And uh, and his wife actually was implicated, uh, the, the victim's wife, uh, Julia Stott, uh, the woman that Cream was having an affair with. But she testified against him and ultimately was never prosecuted. She did spend some time in jail, but she's been indicted on the tombstone along with Dr. Cream, who was convicted of that crime.
0: Right. And you uh, definitely did travel and kind of have to uncover his, almost like you talk about this guy Jarvis, who was kind of following around Crane. You kind of followed Jarvis's track, trying to uncover a lot of the documentation and and history about him, correct?
1: Well, I I think as a nonfiction writer, um, it's important for readers that that I see as many of the places as I can. Uh, Things have changed. It's a long time ago. But there's enough public buildings, uh, and many of the courthouses still stand. Uh, just to understand, I, I wanted to see what was left of Cream's world. And uh, when I went to, so uh, there's two reasons for that. One is I'm chasing the records and uh, we're not talking about, uh, I mean, there's limitations of, of internet searches. You have to uh, go to the archives. The material's not scanned. I mean, you have to go through it page by page. Um, Rather than hire a researcher researcher to do that, I want to do it. I want to see these documents. I want to hold them in my hand. And, of course, that can lead to other locations, other museums. Um, So I'm there anyway. And then when I'm in London, I want to walk Lambeth. I want to understand where Cream lodged. The building's gone, but I know where it was. And see as many places that may still exist, or even just see what how close were things, what did the city look like, and some of that I can get from vintage photographs, but there's no uh, there's no replacement I think for being there and 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 seeing this headstone in a little place called Garden Prairie, Illinois. This headstone with the indictment of uh, of Doctor Cream. I mean, it's it's quite chilling, and I and I think that that it really brings it may, brings history to life, and it makes the story uh, real for me, and and I hope for readers.
0: Yeah, no, I think it was very very well researched. I mean, he uh, one of the oddities too is he also engaged in very strange letter writing campaigns. Can you? Uh, discuss that aspect of his character?
1: Well, there were, there have been a few studies of Cream over the, over the decades, nothing recently. But one thing I did discover that surprised me, I knew that towards the end of his career, he was writing uh, letters accusing others or blackmail threats. And I knew he was trying to get, it looked like he was trying to blackmail druggists by saying they were responsible for his murders. What I didn't realize is this had been a pattern of his from his second murder in 1879 in Canada, he would muddy the waters by accusing others. This morphed into these uh, attempted blackmail, uh, saying that he would uh, swear that the, uh, the prescription he'd given had been uh, messed up by the druggist and get them in trouble. Um, in one case, in the case of Daniel Stott, the murder he's convicted of, he demanded... An exhumation of the body, saying he believed the man had been poisoned with strychnine, when the local authorities had no idea. And once they realized he was right, then they he became he became in their sights as a suspect. So at various times, this seeming compulsion to write about his crimes uh, came back to haunt him. Nowhere so much as even after he serves his 10 years in prison, when he goes to London, he engages in this again. He he accuses uh, the doctor to the royal family of one of his murders, of all people. A sitting member of parliament is accused mm-hmm. of another one. And some of these letters, I mean, he's using pseudonyms, but some of these letters are written in his own very distinctive handwriting. And very in very soon, this becomes one of the key pieces of evidence that makes him a suspect and uh, and leads uh, Scotland Yard to his door.
0: And can you explain how he was apprehended and what that process was like?
1: Well, it's surprising one thing one thing I benefited from was a voluminous uh, Scotland Yard file. I was able uh, day by day, Report by report, uh, internal reports, uh, transcripts of uh, witness statements, uh, uh, results of of investigative efforts. I was able to track the investigation of what seemed to have been uh, unconnected murders to Scotland Yard originally, to their realization that there were four murders, probably by one person, and then a slow realization that. This odd doctor who seemed to know a lot about the deaths, Dr. Cream, and surprisingly was actually um, uh, hanging out with some detectives. This was another bizarre aspect of his psyche. It was almost like he liked to taunt, in the way Jack the Ripper, if his letters, if the letters attributed to him are correct, taunted the police. But um, maybe all part of an eye of a, of, a, of a sense that uh, an arrogance that grew as more and more he got away with his crimes, that maybe he felt he was untouchable. But um, these letters, uh, uh, descriptions of the assailant of these women, that uh, a top hatted uh, a nearsighted doctor, uh, it was him. It fit him, and even then, some of the detectives involved just could not make the leap that this seemingly respectable doctor in their midst uh, was the murderer. It took it took finally the intervention of headquarters in Scotland Yard. They put a crackerjack uh, investigator named John T- Bennett Tunbridge on the case. He reviewed all the evidence that had been collected of the various crimes. And his in his, the inescapable conclusion as far as he was concerned was that cream was the murderer
0: right and so he he denied everything but he also that top hat was like a symbol of somebody who is upper class right at least at that time
1: well that's right and um, uh, one one witness uh, 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 described uh, a man a uh, I think it was cream uh, as a as a toff because he was wearing a top hat. And uh, yeah, it was very much still the, uh, a symbol of an upper class, almost aristocratic person. Um, most people were wearing Homburgs by then, uh, uh, the more uh, a round topped, smaller hat that uh, Dr. Watson wears, if you can visualize a Sherlock Holmes show. Um, but uh, yeah, so he had this distinctive almost throwback uh, uh, wardrobe Um, but chillingly um, and one thing that's fascinating about Cream is you could you could not conjure up a more perfect Victorian era villain you know the way he dressed the sinister look the uh, you know if you if you put him into a into a gray London fog and flickering gaslight And he's already got the wardrobe. I mean, he really, he is almost a villain for the ages.
0: Right, and he he was slightly cross-eyed, right? So he had kind of an off-putting look, gray eyes, strange guy. But he also carried around all of his poisons and everything, right? So that was part of his, how they keyed into him, right? Because he was always trying to get medicines and things like that.
1: Well, he had sourced a uh, sample case of medicines that include strychnine. Again, strychnine was uh, in trace amounts, was used in medicine, Um, not the lethal doses, of course, he was dispensing. But he carried around this case he had picked up in uh, the United States before he'd gone to uh, London. And this was part of uh, the the reason that some of the uh, uh, Metropolitan Police investigators thought he was legitimate. Uh, He said, I uh, I don't practice medicine anymore, but I'm a salesman for this company, this Harvey Drug Company of, uh, of New York State. And, uh, but, of course, this was also the source of, of some of the strychnine he was using. But, uh, again, he uh, – um, and and the uh, – you mentioned about uh, he was slightly cross-eyed, which gave him kind of a sinister look. It's remarkable that in witness statements – uh, the statements about uh, this mysterious man. Uh, many of the many of his victims knew him as Fred. Uh, had this uh, distinctive look, uh, the the slightly crossed eyes. And again, this still um, took a long time for Scotland Yard investigators to put two and two together. It's almost inexplicable that they could miss this, some of these distinctive descriptions and not realize that they were in some cases, sitting across a table at a pub, talking to their chief suspect.
0: Right. And, uh, so he's using fake names and things like that. I mean, you mentioned there at the end that George Orwell said that his name would never be forgotten. Do you think that he's better known in the UK than in North America?
1: Well, possibly, although, um, I have done some, uh, some interviews from uh, the UK and, uh, One was with a uh, a newspaper reporter over there who lives in Lambeth and says he'd never heard of the name. Um, I I think I'd go back to the idea that that, uh, Jack the Ripper casts such a long shadow over the period that uh, Dr. Cream perhaps has been forgotten, and and I obviously don't believe that that should have ever been the case. But uh, I am finding that he really has um, fallen into obscurity, uh, despite how, uh, I mean, his case made headlines around the world in the 1890s, and uh, but, but seems to have been largely forgotten. And, uh, um, well, I, I, I hope my work certainly uh, restores this villain to uh, people realize that, uh, like Jack the Ripper, I mean, we're talking about some of the earliest prototypes of the modern serial killer. And it was fascinating when I was doing my research to discover that the term serial killer is only an invention of the last few decades. I would see police reports, newspaper reports struggling. To come to to grips with this idea that there were monsters now being created in Victorian society who just killed for the sake of killing, as one newspaper put it. And so it was fascinating that um, this is one of the first cases where the police were coming face to face with a Jack the Ripper type uh, serial killer. And as I show in the book, with uh, mixed results, uh, missed opportunities meant that I think you can make the case that at least two of Cream's victims could have been saved if Scotland Yard had been uh, more attuned to what was happening in Lambeth.
0: Right. And uh, I mean, they say he killed 10, but he could have killed more. There may have been other people. He was clearly moving around, very sinister character, um, really fascinating. Yeah,
1: please continue. Go ahead. Well, I, I did. I did try to to be definitive. Uh, for instance, he mentioned he spent a little time in Des Moines, Iowa, so I went through the Des Moines, Des Moines, Iowa newspapers looking for any potential references to him or sudden deaths. He killed uh, one woman in London, Ontario, where he practiced medicine for a year. I checked every coroner's report on a sudden death and every newspaper uh, day by day. For that period i i was really determined that he wouldn't get away this time um, it's possible there were other murders but uh i did try to um find more if they if they existed and i was aided by the scotland yard investigator jarvis you mentioned who was sent to canada the united states after cream's arrest in london to fill in the blanks. And uh, that meant that uh, Jarvis was doing some of my work for me. I could follow him. And um, there were references, for instance, to a couple of other cities in Canada where Cream may have practiced. I was dubious about them. Turns out Jarvis heard the same things at the time from the papers, actually went to those cities, and helpfully for me ascertained that Cream had never been there.
0: Interesting. That's fascinating. Really, I highly recommend this book. A fast, great read, and uh, superbly well written. Where's the best place people can find the case of murders, Doctor Freeman?
1: It's published by Algonquin Books. Uh, it's available everywhere. Uh, it's available, obviously, online retailers, your your local indie publisher. It's in hardcover, ebook, audio book. And uh, people who want to know uh, more about uh, the book, see some of the uh, reviews and response, uh, my website, www.deanjobb.com, will will give links and more information. And people uh, can reach out to me if they, if they want to kind of get in touch and tell me what they think. I appreciate that too.
0: And is that the best way to contact you is through your website, deanjobb.com
1: that's right. Yeah, there's a there's an email, uh, uh, and my email is there, too. Gotcha. And you've
0: this book is excellently reviewed, so people check out the book. Again, the title is The Case of the Murderous Dr. Cream, The Hunt for a Victorian-era Serial Killer, just published July 2021 by Dean Job, J-O-B-B, that's how it's spelled. Thanks a lot, Dean. I appreciate it. Well, thank you. All right, take care.